The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You are listening to this is Cruise Radio Rewind. Real reviews from real cruisers. How's it going? You hanging in there? Welcome to this bonus episode of Cruise Radio Rewind. We're going to discuss seven ways the cruise industry is going to change moving forward with staff writer Richard Sims. If this is your first time listening, Cruise Radio is a cruise podcast done every Thursday covering the cruise news and cruise ship reviews. And on the weekends, we do a thing called Cruise Radio Rewind, kind of a catch-all. So if we miss something on the show or if news breaks, we'll talk about it right here on Cruise Radio Rewind. If you really are interested in what's happening in this ever-so-changing cruise news world, we have Cruise Radio News. Two ways to listen to that. You can listen to it where you hear your favorite podcast just by typing in Cruise Radio News. Or if you have an Amazon Alexa device, just say Enable the Cruise Radio News Flash Briefing. All right, staff writer Richard Sims is on the line. We'll jump to him right now. Hey, Richard. Hey, Doug. I am ready to sail again, man. I was just saying, I, I mean, you know, I know there are people out there who have said, you know, oh, you shouldn't even be thinking about it right now. But I'll tell you what, if they told me a ship was leaving tomorrow and I could get on it, I'm not going to lie. I think I would do it. I, you know, I would, of course, when I got home, I would self-isolate for 14 days or whatever because we are still in the heavy days of this but yeah i want nothing more than to just really get on a ship and sort of forget about all of this right now yeah you see the four ships here in jacksonville and it's like ah you see them dock but that's all you can do is just see them so this article seven ways cruise vacations will change moving forward the first point you have here is moving forward cruise lines will limit guest capacity Now, some of these things that we're looking at, we sort of have a little bit of a template for what might happen moving forward because Genting, which is a Japanese line, is already sort of putting in place very, very stringent guidelines. They've they've put out this document that lists a lot of ways in which they're going to change things. Now, they happen to also be, you know, people think of the Cruise Line International Association as sort of reigning over the American cruise lines. But as it says right there in the title International, they actually, uh, they're incorporating 95, 98, something like that percent of all the cruise ships and all the cruise lines out there. It includes Genting. So knowing that Cruise Lines International Association is working with the government and various agencies to try and figure out ways to keep people safe and to make the whole process as smooth as possible. It's not much of a stretch of an imagination to say that that what Genting is doing could very easily become sort of a blueprint for what we're seeing moving forward. And one of the things they're doing is talking about limiting guest capacity. That basically is going to mean that just because a ship can hold, you know, say 6,000 people, maybe they only put 4,000 people on it. And one of the things that is going to be interesting to see is how much of a financial sort of hit the cruise lines are willing to take in order to allow for people to return to cruising and return safely. You know, there's the theory that 
getting the ship sailing, even with half the people on them, is better than them sitting there not sailing at all. But if you're going to do something like sailing with, say, half capacity or two-thirds capacity, you are automatically, you know, cutting off a a bit of your your income. So that but that seems like something in order to sort of allow people to not be on top of each other and continue, even if you're not technically calling it social distancing, to sort of do that a little bit easier. The fewer people you have on the ship, the easier that's going to be. And that's automatically going to create a safer environment in this current situation. Yeah. And whether we want to think about it or not, they're going to have to allot some rooms for quarantine rooms just in case something does pop up, God forbid, while we're on a ship. And also at first, we're going to see less people on board too, because they're going to have fewer crew members because we still don't know when Asia and Europe are going to open up. Heck, we don't even know when we're going to open up at this point. But uh, getting the crew back to the ship could be a challenge as well. Right. And I think one of the things I've kind of pondered and I would love to see because I do so much solo traveling is one way that you can sort of reduce capacity and still fill your rooms is to focus more on the solo sailors. Um, This has been a big trend over the last four or five years that we've seen a really big increase in the number of people who travel solo. Some lines um, like the Norwe- newer Norwegian ships, they have very specifically created, you know, rooms that are designed for solo travelers, and they have a person on staff who sort of arranges dinners for them and things. But other lines haven't been so great with this. For example, Carnival has next to nothing that they offer for solo sailors. They don't have, you know, they generally speaking don't have better rates. They don't, I don't, I don't think on any of their ships they have solo staterooms. So this might be a way to sort of say, well, okay, we're gonna maybe lower the single supplement that will let us put people in a room, but instead of having four people in this room, we'll only have one person in the room. So in my wildest dreams, this actually works out really great for solo travelers. Yeah, no, I know Carnival hasn't ever done the whole solo supplement thing because they're family-based, right? I mean, they're making money on families. They can offer lower rates because they're piling four people in a stateroom. But A few years ago, like after Costa Concordia happened, we saw Carnival have some single supplement rates and special waiving the single supplement fee out there. So just to get some revenue coming in, you know, they could be saying, hey, look, we're not filling this ship up like we should be. We're going to waive a single supplement fee for anybody who wants to come out here and sail. Yeah. And that's the other thing is it'll be really interesting from a revenue standpoint to see, you know, you and I and people like us immediately say, oh, yeah. I want, if you tell me I can get on a ship tomorrow, I will. How much of that is out there, you know, or are there people who are going to be like, you know what, I'm going to wait a little while and see how this plays out. I'll tell you what, those first ships that sail out, I think they're going to be the safest ships to possibly be on because the last thing they want is any type of outbreak on those ships. They're going to be like, they are going to have people following you individually and cleaning up everything you touch just to make sure there's no outbreaks on those first ships. I mean, I'm joking, but obviously they really, really, really need when they return to sailing for there not to be problems. The second point here, here. We saw this a lot after 9-11 um, with the cruise ship sticking closer to home ports because people didn't want to get on an airplane and fly to another destination. Kind of a different reason for not flying this time, but ships might stay closer to home. Exactly. And it might not even be just because people can't fly, you know, because there are all these travel restrictions in place. But we don't know as we begin returning to sailing what ports will be open and which ones weren't. I mean, that was a big problem during the last month or so is is we saw so many ports say, yeah, we're not going to 
going to welcome cruise ships right now. Canada is still closed to cruise ships and will be for several months. So even though the ports here begin saying, you know what, we're going to let you sail out of Miami or New York or wherever, that doesn't necessarily mean international ports will be open. We also don't know, you know, just because one part of the country, or let's say our country, sort of manages to flatten the curve, as they say, and we start slowly getting things back to normal. That doesn't mean other areas won't still have major problems with coronavirus and they won't be available. And they may not be places that we can sail out of. So there could be two things happening. One, given how many ships, like say, for example, Carnival, look how many ships they have, not only with their main brand Carnival, but when you add in Princess and Holland America and all of them, that's a lot of ships. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the ships sort of end up on mothballs for a little while while they're getting off up and running and they just say, you know what, we don't we we don't have enough capacity for all these people plus we don't necessarily have all the ports because they may not be able to sail out of international ports like they did before. So what do you do with those ships? Do you bring them here and sort of, you know, now one possibility is let's say you had a ship that was sailing out of Barcelona and Barcelona stays closed. Uh, you could always bring that ship here and maybe you're doing half full sailings, but you do two sailings. So instead of just having, say, the Carnival Magic sail out of wherever, like New York, let's just use an example. Instead of having the Carnival Magic sail out of New York, um, you have the Carnival Magic and the Carnival Sunrise both sailing out of here, both at half capacity. And that you know might be a way to sort of keep to, to fit both of those criteria where you're able to keep the ships floating, even though you're doing less capacity. The next point here it, it is kind of a double-edged sword because with the whole asymptomatic thing, but we're expecting to see a heavier emphasis on medical screenings. Definitely. One of the biggest, I hate to say this, but one of the biggest jokes in sort of my experience with cruising has been the health questionnaire. There, It's just ridiculous because the health questionnaire relies on the fact that when you go up there and you are asked these, you know, three or four questions, have you had diarrhea in the last few days? Has anybody in your house had a fever for the last few days? If you're looking at the possibility of checking one of those boxes, yes, and them saying, okay, well, we're afraid you're not going to be able to get on the ship. Of course, you're not going to check that box. And there's nobody there to prevent you from lying and just getting on the ship. But I think we're going to see that change. You know, we already, before the shutdown, Carnival had started implementing um, temperature screenings for all guests and all crew members at embarkation points. The problem becomes you may not have a temperature when you get on the ship, but you might have it two days later. You know, you could be just in the very early stages and develop it. And I don't know how exactly they get around that. But I do think that we will see um, not only more, you know, individual temperature screenings, but they also have sort of infrared screenings that they can use to scan a crowd and, and sort of look for problem spots in it. I think we'll see more medical staff um, in the terminals themselves, kind of like eyeing people. And if somebody, you know, the temperature is a little questionable, maybe we pull them over aside and do a couple checks there. But we'll definitely see more medical screenings before we get on the ship. The question is, do they actually serve any purpose? Or is it sort of like when you go to the airport and you're going through all those security checks? For the most part, those security checks, yes, they can, you know, they are designed to, of course, keep somebody from getting on the ship with a bomb or on a on a plane with a bomb or something like that. But in large part, the, 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 the secret that we don't really like to talk about is that they're really designed to make us feel better. 
um, you know, that that we we think that we're wrapped up in this blanket of security. So it'll be a question of what can they do that actually works as opposed to just seems like something that, you know, makes us feel better about getting on the ship. I know Carnival Cruise Line has ordered these infrared cameras that crew members will wear, and I believe they ordered thousands of them from this Texas-based company to detect body temperature above 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's a good start, you know? Yeah, I read read that company was just like pumping this stuff out because they knew they were going to be in high demand. Up next, you have a de-emphasis on self-service, which might make some people upset because, you know, we think of cruise line food. We think of the unlimited buffets. Yeah, you know, I'm sorry, but you're probably also not going to be able to serve yourself ice cream. I know that's always a big thing is go and get your little cup of ice cream. And I I don't know why people get so excited about that. I, I For some reason, getting on a ship apparently makes everyone into ice cream fanatics. But (laughs) I think the buffets are where you'll see the real change here is they will begin doing and and already they've done this. I had a friend who was on the Norwegian gem um, on the gems last sailing before it went uh, before it shut down. And there was no serving your own food there. That's all, you know, the crew members, you know, you pointed at what you wanted and they served you. I think that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not like they're going to say you can't, you know, if you want five chicken breasts, they're not going to say you can't have them. They're just going to, you know, you just have to to let them serve it to you. But again, this comes to another interesting point where, where we get to finances is it takes a lot more people to run a buffet doing it that way. You know, like, like you can't, usually you have, one person behind, say, the, the say, sliced meats or whatever counter who is, ha- who is you know, making sure everything stays fresh and, you know, then they're running back and doing a little cooking and then coming back and refreshing the plates. You will have to have someone at each counter whose whole job is to stand there and serve people and to, to put dressing on their, on their salad and to, you know, put each individual item on their plate. That's going to take a lot more people. So it'll be interesting. Do we cut down on the number of items available to to sort of make that easier? Where does that cut come from? And again, you know, um, Carnival sort of had mentioned that it might be difficult to get all the crew members back in a timely fashion given travel restrictions. Well, this is something that's going to require more uh, crew members. So it's, it's sort of a big question mark how that'll work. Along those same lines, it makes me wonder what Norwegian Cruise Line, since they're removing that one night of the free at sea package, uh, effective April 15th, do you think that more people are going to swarm to the main dining room and cause congestion? That's kind of an interesting case. I've been thinking about that a lot because um, for those who haven't seen the story, basically when you book with Norwegian, you get certain perks. And one of the perks that a lot of people pick is the free dining package. And they've basically cut one meal from most levels. For example, I usually take a week-long cruise, and during that week-long cruise, I get three meals in the specialty restaurants, but now I will only get two. Part of this is obviously that they want you to spend more money on the ship. Um, They know, you know, they've got a lot of specialty restaurants on that ship, and they want people to eat in them, and so this is a way for them to get more people to eat in them and actually pay, as opposed to only using the free meals that you get through the perk. But, um, you know, if you're like a lot of people these days trying to save money, and I think that's going to be even more important moving forward because the, the economy's taken such a hit, you're probably not going to be as likely to spend your own money to eat in those dining facilities that co- come at a cost. So that means you're going to eat in either the buffet or the main dining rooms, and that's going to create a lot of 
chaos really in in those spaces. It's going to be a lot harder to get a table in the main dining rooms, uh, and and the buffet will be a lot busier. So. Yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. This next point we have here, uh, it's elderly guests will face stricter boarding policies. And we kind of saw this happen before the industry shut down. But I've also have gotten a couple of emails since this article was published saying, hey, I'm an 81 year old fit male. I'm not going to the doctor just to say I can cruise. You know what I mean? I know people in their 80s who are probably in better health than I am. You know, they could probably kick my right. butt. And but that's the only way really to enforce this policy is to have everybody do it. You know, I, they don't know my grandpa. They don't know if my grandpa is fit or not. They don't know your grandpa. So the only way they can do it and keep people safe, knowing that at a certain age, you know, 70 and above really is usually the cutoff that that you are going to be at a higher risk of really any problem, but specifically coronavirus, especially if you have uh, underlying symptoms. So they basically have to say, you need a note saying that you're fit to travel because I don't know you. I know you think you're fit and I know you can stand here in front of me and do 20 pushups, but I don't, you know, that doesn't mean to me that you don't have underlying conditions. I do think this is going to be really necessary. I think a lot of people are going to be unhappy about it. But if there's one thing that's true, and this isn't just about cruising, it's about our lives. Our lives are not going to be the same after this. You know, for many years, you know, they're talking about the fact that people should never shake hands again. Big and little changes are going to be made uh, as a result of this health crisis. And if the worst thing that happens is you have to call your family doctor and get a note saying, you know, yep, I'm okay to travel, then if you really want to cruise, you'll do it. Yeah, I don't think the cruise lines want to see that fit to travel be in place because no. you know, the retirees have the disposable income. Exactly. So, especially the now. Taking the world cruises so and the 14-night transatlantics and all of that. Especially now with so many people taking, you know, financial hits. You know, yeah. my my grandma – well, my, my grandparents are dead. But if my grandma was still alive, she would have a better disposal income than many of the people my age who are going to lose their jobs or who are, you know, taking big financial hits and will have to cut way back and won't have the money to cruise. So, yeah. Cruise lines, trust us, cruise lines do not want to see this any more than you do. But, you know, for right now, it might be the new reality we live in. Who knows? Hopefully within a year, all of this goes away and none of it is an issue. The next point you have is capacity may be limited in public venues. What's really cool, I did not notice this until the last week or two, but you see examples of this already. Like if you watch, whether it's President Trump's um, press conferences or um, here here in our area, we watch Andrew Como's press conferences, they actually have very much limited the number of press that is allowed into the rooms where they're doing the press conferences and they sporadically seat them. They have like four seats in between each person. That's kind of exactly what you'll probably see here. Now, <laughs> I kind of joke in the article that the people who will love this are the ones who, you know how when you walk in the theater, you hear have the person on the microphone saying, please move all the way to the end of the aisle, mm-hmm. leave no empty seats. People hate that and they always violate it. They're like, you know, no, you can't tell me where to sit. I'm going to sit where I want. Well, guess what? Now you'll be able to not have to move to the end of the line and fill in all the empty seats. I assume what they will probably do is they will go in and they will like, you know, put some kind of barrier on certain seats so that you have to maintain, you know, whether it's every other seat or whatever. Um, But yeah, this seems like a no brainer just because, you know, when you go into, say, the theater, 
obviously you're going to be kind of packed in there right on top of each other. You know, you share an armrest or whatever. So we'll probably see them finding ways to limit the capacity of theaters and showrooms and things like that. What I wonder is when you do that, how do you assure that everyone on the ship has a chance to see a show? For example, if you're traveling on uh, Norwegian and you want to see the show Six, which is very, very popular, they usually do two or three shows during the course of the week. But And those shows are packed. They are, you know, they are standing room only and you need a reservation for them. If you're cutting the audience capacity even by a third, then then do you add extra shows? Um, you know, how do you how do you make sure that everyone is going to have a chance who wants to see this show to see it? Yeah, that's a good point. And on top of that, I think we're going to see and Genting pointed this out under their um, Section five entertainment and recreational activities that theaters are going to be sanitized before and after each show. Which, you know, um, they should be. Uh, I, I remember when I was a kid and I'd go to the movies, you know, as the credits were rolling, you would see the people start coming through and picking up all the empty popcorn boxes and stuff like that. So I don't I don't know that that's all that big a thing to me because I would sort of almost expect that to be true. But the other question I have is, do you change, you know, do you change your casino setup right now? If you walk in a casino, you know, the machines are all right on top of each other. Do you change that and take out some of those machines? Now, again, that's giving you a financial hit because, you know, the casinos, they make a lot of money off of, but how do you present, prevent everyone from being right on top of each other? For that matter, how do you prevent, you know, casinos, my God, everybody is touching things in the casino. Everybody's pushing the buttons and then somebody else comes and pushes that same button. Do you have enough staff in there that every time somebody gets up from a machine, you have somebody go over and wipe it down? I beg to differ. I think that the with the sanitizing the public spaces like the theater and the comedy shows, I think that's kind of a big deal because, you know, you can catch a 815 show and a 930 show and people are waiting at the door between shows or there's nothing. They're not cleaning anything but except picking up a couple of glasses maybe. So I think yeah, this you're is right. going to be big right. with either whether it's a mister that they spray or whatever they're doing, whatever approach they take. I think that it's going to be a big deal. One of the interesting things I noticed in the in the Genting report um, was they talked about not only sailing with um, you know some of the rooms empty basically, but they talked about as they rotate through the empty rooms whenever a room is empty, fogging it. I assume that's some kind of almost like you do in your house if you have you know termites or something that they basically set off some kind of chemical in the room that stays on the surface for a couple of days since the room is empty and then, you know, allows them to be sort of hyper sanitized. Yeah, the casino brings up a good point, and I'm really interested to dig more into that and see exactly what they're going to do. The last one we have here of many changes is going to be the Onboard Medical Center. Yeah, if there's one thing that we sort of know, nobody wants to go down to the medical center on a ship. I happen to have been, I on one trip um, contracted pink eye and had to go to the medical facility. And if you've spent any time in the medical facilities, you know they are pretty small. They are definitely not set up for any kind of major outbreak. Now, in the past, when we've had outbreaks on ships, they've basically been neurovirus. And neurovirus, you know, you basically send people to their room and, and make them stay there. The thing that they're talking about here, and this is, again, something we saw in uh, being implemented by Genting moving forward, is they are redesigning their 
ships to include bigger medical facilities, including the, the ability to isolate people. So that's going to take up some space. You know, you need you, isolation wards take up a little bit of room. Um, it, it also becomes a question of how many beds do you use? You know, uh, do you, as you had mentioned earlier, could you possibly say, you know what, we're not going to book these 10 inside rooms on the bottom there. We would get the least money for them anyway. We're going to leave those 10 rooms and use them as a potential isolation ward if we need it. But they also might need additional medical staff on board. They need one of the plans is that if you have a ship which is infected, everyone on that ship, whether they test positive, whether they are symptomatic or not, there are certain things that kick into place. Um, the cruise line becomes responsible for basically getting you home. They have to hand out uh, masks, so they have to have enough masks on hand for everyone. All of that is going to come into play and be sort of centralized around the medical facilities. So these are all things let's just take a second here and say this. These are all things that sound like bummers, you know, like, oh my God, is my cruise no longer going to be any fun? And that's not the case at all. I mean, it's, it's really, first of all, we don't know how many of these things will be implemented or how many more beyond this will be implemented, but these are all things designed to sort of, like we said, help us live in what is the new reality and be prepared for the worst. It's always better to be prepared for the worst than have a situation happen like we did on some of the ships as this as this outbreak began, where they weren't prepared, they had no plan, they didn't know what to do, and as a result, things got much, much, much worse. Had there been plans in place, had there been, you know, uh, sort of protocols already established, we would not have seen the the bad situations unfold that we did, and the cruise industry would not have taken the hit that it took. It, it really, you know, a lot of people have looked at the situation that happened on the Diamond Princess and said, geez, if they got those people off the ship sooner, we wouldn't have seen the vast spread, but they kept them on there forever. And, and the longer they stayed on, the more they were exposed to one another. Of course, the more people contracted the disease. So can you really pin this on the cruise lines, though? Because the, the Ministry of Health in Japan wouldn't let those people off the ship. I mean, there could be protocols in place. But if Japan says, hey, you have people on your ship with COVID-19, we're not disembarking them. Keep them on the ship until we figure out what to do with them. But and you saw the same thing with the Holland America ships coming back and the Coral Princess coming back. They were turned away from country after country like no one was wanting to help. Exactly. And that's why it's really important that as these new protocols and new procedures are developed. It's not just being done by the ships. It's also being done by the appropriate agencies, whether it's the center, Centers for Disease Control, whether it's, you know, Homeland Security, whoever. Like, these all have to be developed in conjunction so that we don't have that same system again, because it doesn't do any good if one side of the equation has a plan in place and the other side says, yeah, no, we're not mm -hmm. going to play by those rules. So well, it really has to be something where and, and that's been sort of what the Cruise Line International Association has been trying to do is work with these other agencies in order to develop plans that will work for everybody, not just for one side, not just for the other, but for everybody. So that if there is any kind of, you know, outbreak, whether it's one person or 40 people, 
there's a plan in place and we know exactly what to do and we know which ports will accept them and we know once they've been accepted in that port, here is the plan and exactly how they are to be you know, taken and how they'll be transported and the whole nine yards. I've said this before, but it's just the fact that everyone, federal, local, and state need to be on the same page. I mean, we saw what happened with the Zandam when the president had to call our governor to let the ship dock. Yeah. And, and I mean, and that's kind of a little bit a quandary as to how this is going to happen, because even, you know, we can't even on a national scale figure out protocols for how to deal with this disease. You have the, the you know, whether it's the president or Dr. Fauci or anybody saying, you know, here's what we really should do. And then governors saying, yeah, we're not going to do that. So, so it'll be, I, I am fascinated by the process and I really am very hopeful that all of them, you know, really sort of work together to develop this because there's so much at risk. And when I say there's so much at risk, I don't just mean our vacations. And, you know, it's not just you and I being able to jump on a ship and go somewhere, Mm -hmm. but, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of people, their employment relies on these, the, the, this, this industry being able to return to business. So it's not just, you know, people, people joke and, 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 and I wrote something earlier this week about how uh, there are people out there who want to shame you for wanting to get back on a cruise ship and how that's just complete and total BS. But even if you want to look, if you want to look at it that way, don't think of it as my desire to get back on a cruise ship and my desire to go on a vacation. Think of it as the economic impact that this industry has around the world. Um, you know, when when a ship pulls into a port, it's it's pouring money into that port, whether it's Seattle or or somewhere in the Caribbean. That though there are whole local systems, almost ecosystems that that thrive on the money that comes from tourism in general and cruise ship tourism in, in particular. So it's really important that this gets up and running. We will get through all of this and we will get things back to normal and petty as it might sound, we will be on ships and having drinks and enjoying our lives. And things may be a little bit different, like we've been talking about when we get on those ships, but we'll be on them and things will be at least as back to normal as they can be. Very good. Staff writer Richard Sims, thank you so much. Glad to be here as always. If you have a few minutes, I highly suggest you check out Genting Cruise Line's template for moving forward because this is really interesting. They get down into the nitty gritty as far as how they'll sanitize and how they'll wash their linens and just really the nitty gritty there. And uh, we should see a lot of that come over here to the U.S. because they are part of CLIA, which is part of the lobbying arm of the cruise industry. So because everything kind of stemmed from the Asian region, I think they could have a good handle on things. But yeah, if you want to check it out, it's at cruiseradio.net. Thank you for joining us on this encore presentation of Cruise Radio Rewind. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Take care. During these difficult times for the travel industry, Cruise Radio stands behind the men and women who work so hard to bring our vacation dreams to life. From the captains and crew to travel agents, tour operators, Vendors and port employees, we offer a sincere thank you on behalf of the thousands of guests whose lives you impact each and every day. 